up everybody my name is james d fiore and this is blackball it happens every single time i have a guest on this show who is considered to be on the fringe of the far left or the far right and every single time it happens i roll my eyes people asking me not to platform people people asking me not to talk to people And um, I just disagree, fundamentally disagree with everything that that kind of demand stands for. And today we have one of those guests. She is a member of European Parliament, and she is also a fierce critic of our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. And I am going to give you an example of that right now. More appropriate for Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, to address this House according to Article 144, an article which was specifically designed to debate violations of human rights, democracy and the rule of law, which is clearly the case with Mr. Trudeau. Then again, a prime minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy should not be allowed to speak in this house at all. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Please spare us your presence. Thank you. I, I, I assure you, uh, Ms. Anderson, that Prime Minister Trudeau will address this House and exchange with us on the most important topics that we are facing today. Please welcome to the show a member for the Alternative to Germany Party. Her name is Christine Anderson. Christine, how are you? Fine, how are you? Thanks for having uh, me on. No problem. Thank you for coming. Um, that speech was that made headlines around the world. I believe that was in March uh, that you made that speech. First of all, can I just ask if you get along well with that lady that spoke at the end? Uh, uh, Matsola, she is the president of the EU Parliament. Okay. And um, well, uh, our paths do not cross across that often, so we don't have that much uh, opportunity. If we see each other on the on the in the hallway, obviously we greet each other. Okay. But um, yeah, she, I'm probably one of the persons she does not like that much. Well, we can't please everyone. Um, there was there was something that stood out from that speech um, that might be uh, not what you're normally used to being asked as a first question when it has to do with Justin Trudeau. Although we'll get to that, and it is normally you would associate someone um, that. Uh, talks about the same types of issues that are important um, as you do. And free speech is usually at the top of that list. Um, But you did say that you wanted to sort of ban Justin Trudeau from speaking in front of the EU parliament. Was that sort of a misstep by you or was it something that you meant to meant literally? Uh, No, I did not try to prevent him from speaking. I just uh, 
one would have liked him to uh, address under the appropriate article, which was Article 144, and that is an article uh, we usually debate violations of human rights. So um, they should have labeled it uh, his address uh, under that article. That was my my point actually that I was trying to make, and um, and I, I ended that speech. Uh, yeah, saying he should not be allowed to speak in this house at, at all. And that I did mean because someone that does admire the Chinese basic di dictatorship and from what we're seeing what's going on in China right now, I was right on. And anyone supporting a totalitarian misanthropic regime like that, he should not have the right to address a house that is supposedly uh, be full of Democrats. That was my point. That's okay. what I was trying to make. Um, I think we should try to um, correct the record if I can, um, because I remember when he made that, it was sort of a, Justin Trudeau, by the way, um, when you're Canadian, you know, you, you, you tend to either love him or hate him. I actually don't love him or hate him. I am not a liberal supporter. Um, you know, so I just want to get that out of the way. It doesn't, nothing in this interview is going to come from any sort of admiration from Justin, uh, of Justin Trudeau. I, I do not think he's an effective leader. However, the China comment, it was an offhanded comment that he made just before he was elected for the first time seven years ago. And it was clearly sarcastic if you were in the room or if you saw the footage. But it has been, it has been milked by the Ezra Levants and rebel medias of our country for so long. It's just become this talking point. I think because, and this is my question to you, um, you might not agree with how I characterize his comments on China, but I, I'm telling you, as someone who was there, it, it was it was sarcasm. Um, and I don't like to defend Justin Trudeau. But don't you think that our politics are being debased in such a way to the point where this, this the going strategy among people uh, on both sides, if you want to look at it like left and right, um, where they say the things that they know will inflame people and they they milk that because they know that they can you know attach new supporters to every time they put a talking point out like that do you think that that's a problem and don't you think it's kind of a, a bipartisan problem at this point um i absolutely agree with you um that is a problem uh the point is this um when you look at you know the way um mrna free people have been treated throughout this pandemic um, they have taken uh, so much backlash. They've been ostracized. They've been discriminated against, stigmatized. They've been labeled terrorists. Um, you know, that that really was so uncalled for and it had no scientific or legal basis whatsoever. And that is the very um, grounds that you would build a totalitarian regime on. And I just saw this. So I'm terribly sorry. If he made that comment uh, as, a, as a sarcastic remark, that may very well be. But I don't cling to remarks like that. Um, I just look at how people act. And um, up until this day, there has not been a single leader in the Western democracies calling out China for their horrific regime and all the, the really dehumanizing measures they impose on the Chinese people. So that's exactly the point where I get really angry because we do or we have a democracy or should have a democracy. And I will always defend freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. And I see it violated on so 
many levels throughout the, the Western democracies in particular. I mean, dictatorships, I do not expect them to adhere to democratic principles. I have to tell people the truth. But I do expect that from democratically elected governments. And still, yet they do not. Something is going on and people need to realize, yeah, there is something going on. I mean, they lie to us all the time. And I don't know how many lies do, do we actually have to uncover until they will own up. Yes, yeah, we may have stretched the truth here and there, but they will not do it. Their defense is stigmatizing, defaming people, labeling them terrorists, freezing their bank accounts. All of that is going on. And anyone not noticing it has a serious problem and should recheck what he considers a democracy to be. I swear I'm not asking this to try to um, piss you off, but uh, but while you're talking, I, it popped into my head. So I'm I'm curious what your thoughts on uh, Russia are and whether or not they're a dictatorship. Um, okay, I will tell you this. Um, our chancellor, uh, uh, former chancellor, he called him uh, uh, to be the, the purest Democrat on earth. No, Putin is no Democrat. For one, and actually, he was a social democratic uh, chancellor. Um, no, he is no no uh, democrat whatsoever. Um, I mean, my party we take national sovereignty very seriously. So, if you think you can invade another country, violate a country a country's border with military means, that is an absolute no go. You do not do this. And then expect to be praised by the world. No, you do not. So that is my stand on that. However, and that's the other point. Uh, this war did not start in February of this year. It started at the very latest, November of 2014, with, with the events on Maidan. You may remember. And back then, it was not Russian rebels shooting down these people. It was actually the Ukrainian government. There may have been some interested parties in the backgrounds uh, organizing all of this. But in the, the, the Western democracies, we not only did they not do anything to de-escalate that situation. No, they poured fire on the, ga the gasoline into the fire. So um, we should be really quiet when pointing fingers at others because uh, we are we're just right in there. We did not do anything to de-escalate. And the other point is this. Um, look at, 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 the, at, at Europe right now, Germany in particular. I mean, if we really think we can you know, save world climate and, and, and uh, stop the, the climate change? How ridiculous is that? And the means by which they are trying to do it by cutting us off of our, our uh, energy supply? I mean, this is so ridiculous, you know? What what do you think that um, Europe and Germany can do about climate change? Um, well, first of all, it's um, to me, it, it's just hubris to think that this is man-made. I mean, there is climate change. Of course there is. But there's always been climate change going on ever since the, the, the world existed. 
So um, and now just looking at the German numbers, I mean, it's point, I, I think our, our uh, carbon dioxide uh, emission is like 0.0003% of the world. You know, I mean, seriously, so we cut down all of our energy supply. And by the way, Donald Trump was right when he admonished Germany uh, during a UN summit that we were actually making ourselves dependent upon Russian gas. And the, um, I don't remember who was there. Well, it was, was, was uh, members of the German government. They were just sitting there laughing at him because they thought it was so ridiculous. Well, guess what? Donald Trump was right. Yes, we totally depended upon the Russian gas. And on top of all of that, we shut down the nuclear power plants that actually are a reliable and, and clean uh, power supply because at the other end of the world, uh, a nuclear power plant got destroyed by catastrophe that could never happen here. So in Germany, we shut down the nuclear power plants who were up to the highest security standards. And now we're buying the nuclear power from France, Poland, uh, wherever else. They do not adhere to our safety standards. So there is something, it does not make sense. And anyone not seeing this? Um Lots to unpack there, but the, the climate change stuff, I don't want to get into the weeds in that because I'm not a climate scientist, but I mean, man-made climate change, there is a consensus among scientists that climate change is man-made, isn't there? There you go. There is a consensus among scientists. I think um, it's like, what, 97%? Well, how do they come up with the 97%? Is there a list? Do they check off? Okay, he said yes, he said yes. Okay. So that's the one problem. Okay, well, provide the list. I, I, I want to check it. But that's not the real issue. The real issue is this. Um, there have been times when the vast majority of scientists, I mean, the entire world, 99.999%, they were absolutely sure the earth is flat and the earth is not or the, uh, the earth is the center of the universe. They were absolutely sure. And what? anyone saying something different, you know, he was tortured, whatever. And it only what? took one man. And he said, no, 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 the earth is not flat. And we now know he was right. So please don't flash 97% of scientists agree on this on me. It I just said consensus. Tomorrow. I just said, I, I, I just said consensus, but I, I didn't even know it was 97%. Um, but well, some, someone said it was 97%. Okay. No, I take um, your point. Um, the, um, uh, just a little caveat though. Is it, I, I don't actually know if it is the same over there as it is here where a lot of the conservative parties, um, are rooted in Judeo Christian, uh, philosophy and, and uh, they're comprised of a lot of Christians. Um, it was it was the church that that denied science um, when they when they were saying the earth was flat. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, it doesn't matter. It was an elite. They did not want that truth to get out. Right. So you can you can you know, it, it was it, back then it was an elite. Now we have a political elite. We have we have all kinds of elites, and if they feel threatened in in their power, they will try to do what whatever they can to suppress any kind of narrative that goes against their narrative. 
That's the point. So it's not, it's not, it's not, the problem wasn't that it was the church per se. It was an elite being threatened in their position and they tried everything to not, uh, yeah, basically get threatened. Yeah. Um, there's something happening in the world where uh, conservative parties, and I know my former prime minister, Stephen Harper chairs, I think it's called the International Democratic Union. Uh, it, and it's a collection of um, conservative thinkers that go to other countries and try to bolster the conservative party that is the most popular in, in that country. Um, some people see it as meddling, but whatever. But there's, there seems to definitely be a trend around the world where uh, the idea of governments are about to become tyrannical. Um, there's a new world order afoot. Um, they got that... Uh, Klaus Schwab or whatever his name is, um, you know, uh, when he speaks, I, I can't remember his name, Schwab, that guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, the, right. and the World Economic Forum. And all of these seem very familiar to me. And when I remembered uh, back after 9-11 happened, we had the exact same things happening. And it was that the New World Order is coming. They were talking about the, um, uh, I can't the name of that group, that uh, the, the Council on Foreign Relations. And... Uh, getting microchipped, and it all gets recycled every time there's a new catastrophe or a new um, problem. So it was 9-11. They did it again during the financial crisis, which resulted in things like um, Occupy Wall Street, and then they did it again for the pandemic. And it's just the same – I don't want to use the word conspiracy because I know that offends people – but the same ideas that are just repackaged and resold to people who are really willing to believe them. What do you think the reason is for that? And do you agree with the way that I described it? Um, yeah, I kind of I, I, I kind of agree. Um, the thing is this. Yeah, these things. I mean, people have been warning about these things uh, for a long time. And I guess the point you're trying to make is, is that, well, none of that actually happened until now, uh, up until now anyway. So but um, you know what? This is something that people really have to to get and understand um for instance when uh i mean I, i'm i'm german we have uh you know there's a 12th period in our history which i would describe as the most horrific uh time in in our in our history so um when i try to point out militarianism comes about and you know i try to show the mechanisms and I compare these mechanisms to anything going on maybe nowadays, I'm immediately being slammed, being called a, a Holocaust denier, um, that I uh, uh, trivialized the Holocaust. But the point is this, um, Nazi Germany did not start out by rounding people up and transporting them off to camps. That was at the end. There were steps before that. Some of them seemed really rather inconsequential. I mean, okay, so Jews are not allowed to own pets anymore. What's the big deal? Okay, well, they are not allowed to sit on certain benches in parks. Anymore. What's the big deal? This is how it starts, though. You know, it's little steps. And people really need to understand from what I'm seeing here, we are creating instruments or giving the government's instruments right now that could very well 
be used to totally control people. That is just a fact. And just to think that, well, we have a democratically elected government, they would never do this. Well, think again, because democracy and you know power in a democracy, the people are supposed to have the power. That, I mean, the power the people have, of course, infringes on the power that the government would like to have. So there is a conflict of interest. And the government, I mean, everyone is always trying to increase their own power base. So the governments would, will always try to increase their power. And this, of course, goes, uh, um, yeah, the people will have to, to give up some of their power. And the way they're doing it is by telling us it's just, it, it's for your help. It's for your own good. Trust us here. And now we need digital ID, but it's just for your own good. The government does never does anything for the good of the people. It never happened in the entire history of mankind. There's never been an elite that was truly concerned with the welfare of the regular people. It never happened. Why should it happen now? This is the question people need to ask themselves. And I'm telling you, they will not. And they don't. I'm seeing the evidence everywhere. Can you give me, other than the, 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 the COVID restrictions, like lockdowns and social distancing, which I would say if it's framed inside a pandemic, if it's framed inside a pandemic, it still is a little bit problematic. I, I know people that are vaccinated and have problems with it. Like, it's not just about being vaccinated or not. But what other pieces of evidence, other than things related specifically to the pandemic, have you been seeing? Well, for instance, uh, since or for years, they've been working uh, on pretty much abolishing cash. That, that's an agenda they've been trying to push for years. And now they're really stepping up their game. You know, you, you hear about the CBCDs. This is government-controlled digital currency. So they just want to abandon cash. What does that mean? If there is no longer cash, then, yeah, you have total control over people. You will know what they buy. Then um, link that with a digital ID. So what happens um, you know, you just go to a to a store. You have some guests over in the weekend. So let's say you buy five bottle of five bottles of wine, and on your way back, you stop at a gas station. Well, guess what? You will not get any any gas because you just bought alcohol. These are just possibilities, and we're seeing this in China right now. This is pretty much where we could end up in. Like what? I don't know. Ten fifth. Five, 10 years who knows so really? you know what i'm saying these well that are... seems a little I, 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 sometimes when okay i, I i'm, I'm gonna try to be as like um you know uh, like my etiquette will will be as sharp as i can possibly make it but when you say stuff like that it it's it five years seems like alarmism to me 10 years even seems like alarmism to me. Okay, well, but, then make it 20 years. Does it make well, that any still, better? You're, but you're suggesting that, that that Western democracies will morph into a communist country within the next two decades. And I don't know what that would look like. Like, are you saying that they'll still say they're a democracy, but they'll treat us like okay. we're in a communist country? Like, and, and how does that work? Well, it's not going to be a communist country. It's going to be a totalitarian regime. 
there is a difference. Right. I mean, not to say that I that I like communism. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> um, sure we want that. But yeah. it, it's, total, it's totalitarianism. That's what it is. And like I said, you know, I see all of these steps, what they're talking about, what, what they're trying to implement. Um, it, it, it continues by the, the fight against misinformation, hate speech. I mean, seriously, this is censorship. They don't call it censorship, of course. They call it, we need to stop hate speech or whatever. Um, I mean, it hasn't been that long that we had a totalitarian regime on German soil. And now I'm talking about GDR. So, I mean, the mechanisms are always the same. It, it, it's, to me, it's quite clear. It, it really is. And the, the, the GDR government, they were also, uh, always talking about it's just for the good of the people and we need to build this wall to, uh, to, to come over here because the Western side was, was fa fascists. So hmm. it's always about protecting people. It, that is always the narrative. We need to protect you. So this is why we have to infringe on your rights. Well, they don't how, say that clearly. How would a government protect its people from a pandemic without um, instituting policies that may appear to temporarily infringe on, say, your freedom of movement? Like how let's just say you believed that the that COVID was uh, a real pandemic and that you believed that the vaccines helped because I know that and I don't want to actually talk about either of those things because right. every time I talk about COVID on a podcast uh, I get it pulled um, because of probably the things that you're saying right now but you know what <laughs> yeah I know it's ironic but uh, what what kind what, how yeah, would you well, go misinformation there you go well if you were <laughs> chancellor how would you protect Germans? If there was a pandemic that you believed and was real, like how, what would you do to protect them? Okay. First of all, I would not censor scientists that come maybe to another conclusion. And we're talking, you know, not about some Joe Schmo who, who happened to go to medical school for a couple of years. We're talking about renowned scientists, Nobel prize winners even. So they were just censored because they were, had a different evaluation of the situation they were ca canceled they you know had lost their jobs whatever there was no debate there was no scientific debate it was all shut down there were um there may have been other possibilities to treat it was not allowed it was banned it was it, so what what we really missed here was there was no scientific open debate from the very start it seemed clear um what they wanted to achieve and everything was basically going towards that direction who and, is uh, they you, who, but who is they see if if i if i could if i could you know pinpoint it or name it i would trust me but i don't i have no idea but how I, do you know what they do if you don't know who word, they are? For lack of a better word, I will just say a globalist elite. Yeah, but that's... Whatever that is. I, I don't know. If I knew, I would tell you. Trust me. But I don't. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 
4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Okay, just, let me offer an alternative theory. Just for a okay, second. go ahead. The World Health Organization, after the last SARS, um, spends years developing a blueprint for precautions to take during the next pandemic, but they don't actually differentiate the plan based on what the pandemic is going to be, whether it's SARS or malaria or leprosy. And what, from what I'm told, um, and I, one source inside the World Health Organization was able to confirm this, they had a blueprint and they just took whatever the pandemic was and they stuffed it in that blueprint. And then Western democracies took, and you'll call it marching orders, I'll call it advice, um, from the World Health Organization. And it went down to, uh, to Western democracies in Europe, North America, et cetera. Do you think that it's possible that, we're just very leaderless and the way that we handled this pandemic was really just people that didn't have much imagination relying on advice that they got from the world health organization. And it wasn't some nefarious plot to take over the world with a one government system that will microchip us and enslave us till the end of time. Okay. The problem with that is the following, um, the advice that, how you would call it, um, that they were given, um, make any sense for one. I'll give you one example. Um, here in EU Parliament, uh, for the longest time, we uh, had mandatory masking. So we were running around, well, I wasn't, but the others were running around in this house uh, wearing a mask. And um, in May of 2021, in Belgium, all the mandates uh, were lifted in public spaces, meaning in the same round with masks. And at the end of the day, we would leave the building, walk across the street to Klaus Luxemburg, and there everyone was sitting in bars, restaurants, whatever, not wearing a mask and pretty, you know, crowded places. It just didn't make any sense. Now, when I travel by train to Brussels um, in Germany, I have, to, or I don't, but the others do, they have to wear a mask. So, but as soon as we uh, get to the last station before crossing the border, guess what? This smart virus just gets off the train. And then all the people take off their mask and continue their journey. It's the exact same people sitting on the exact same train. But somehow, only in Germany, it seems to be dangerous. Once we get to Belgium, nothing will happen. It just does not make any sense at all. That's the point I'm trying to make. So, and then it was also the only solution they were talking about was vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. And to this day, it seems to be the only solution. But the other things that are also quite helpful 
in a, with a, a fighting respiratory uh, uh, infections is actually a healthy lifestyle. That means leaving the house, getting fresh air, doing sports. But we didn't do any of that. We did the exact opposite. And quite interesting, though, I was just on COVID committee today, and we are now um, looking at the socioeconomic uh, impacts um, that, yeah, the measures really uh, left us with. And uh, we were talking to uh, two doctors. Uh, the one was focusing on obesity and and uh, the other one was uh, pretty much dealing with, with the elderly people and uh, focus on Alzheimer patients too. And uh, I had I, I asked them a question um, because especially with you know school closures, uh, playground cl uh, playgrounds closed, closed. People confined to their homes. In Germany, we weren't even allowed to take a stroll all by ourselves. Can you imagine? So it's completely absurd. So my question to them was. Um, we have done the exact opposite of what would have been sensible to do, you know, to, to get up your immune system. Uh, and I asked uh, the first doctor, had she been in charge back then, would she have imposed those measures? And um, if the next pandemic, would she now impose those measures? The other doctor, he was talking about the elderly, you know, dying probably of loneliness. Um, I asked him the same question and they both answered no, because there was no balance in, you know, whatever the psychological um, dimension of having old people all by themselves being completely isolated. And it was always about wanting to say we need to save lives. Well, can we just stop a second here and define what life is? I mean, is it the, the sheer existence? In, in isolation, I'm sorry, I do not consider that life. So rather than um, accompanying the elderly, we left them to die all by themselves. This is the most horrible, and this really gets to me because this is so horrible. My, my parents, I both accompanied them in their last days. And gosh, I don't know what I would have done had anyone tried to to keep me from them, I really don't know. Yeah, listen, I I, I don't agree with that. Yeah, well, I don't agree with all of the uh, uh, precautions or or you know yet mandates posted on us. Well, and that's no one said anything, and the ones that did say something, they were called Nazis, and I don't know. Well, listen, I I, I think one of the problems with this whole thing, um, since. I would say December 2019 um, has been this idea that a fluid situation, like anyone that that says that they were right about something in a situation that was fluid for two years, are probably just cherry picking where they may have been right because hindsight is it's kind of beneficial to those well, who weren't being listened well, to. No, at the don't time, don't right? slap me with that hindsight. Side argument. I would never smack. I would never slap. I, left I would never slap you at all. Smack you, maybe. No, no I'm, that's what they say now. Well, how is 2020? Well, then it's how not even come? 2020 with this. That's what I'm saying. It, it's actually less 2020 with this situation. Hindsight yeah. is in this situation would be like this. Um, it, it was probably a pandemic in 2019, uh, in late 2019, because China took a long time before they even said that it was there. Uh, you know. 
the the mask thing was uh, ruined by government messaging and and leaked emails that showed that. Yeah. I, and I know my my audience is going to hate this, but masks yeah, okay. are but considered to, ask, to not okay. be so, even close so to being as effective. Then ask yourself. Then ask yourself. Apparently, from the very beginning, something was up, and they knew that these masks they wouldn't do anything. That's the point. But yet they did it anyway. I think what they said was is that they, it wouldn't protect uh, them as much as as people thought. And the N95 was really the only mask that would protect you uh, in, in a, like you know at a, at a decent percentage. But my point though is is that the the problem that I have with uh, like we have a guy in in Canada you may or may not have heard of named Maxime Bernier. Yes. Maxime Bernier is the leader of the People's Party of Canada. He's been on this show a bunch of times. But I asked him once. And I'm trying to figure out where you land on this type of question. I said, Max, if it was leprosy, would you accept a government decree that maybe we should stay inside for a while? And he said, no. And I was like, then okay. I don't know what to do with you. Okay. Um, the thing is this. If it was leprosy, you wouldn't have to mandate people. If yeah, it you was would. <laughs> These days, you would. Okay. I'm, yeah. Okay. If you're okay, if this I just gave virus, an example of a leader virus, in our country that that would not accept a mandate for leprosy, right? If this virus had had the impact, as far as mortality is concerned, um, then you would not have to you would not have to to uh, mandate people. You would have known. You would have you would have seen it in your everyday life. Yes. This is very dangerous, but people didn't see it. The only time they saw it was on television. Well, okay, you, that's, that's the thing. I mean, if this pandemic was as dangerous as they made it out to be, that actually would have meant you left the house and you might have seen bodies left and right. And then you don't have to mandate anyone. The same with the vaccines, these so-called vaccines. I mean, if they were as safe and or as effective, then you would not have to mandate people. So if the disease was as dangerous as they had told us, and if the vaccines were as effective as they have told us, then you would not have to talk about vax mandates. People would take it voluntarily. But that's the point. It was pushed on people they were coerced they i mean they were even tried they tried to suck them in with what a, a, a french fries and a hamburger a, a donut in germany was bratwurst really i think it was beer something here it's not right and whenever you whenever the government is trying to do something for your own good and they have to lure you in with something i mean sorry all alarm bells must go off at that point. That's just common sense. Do you think that there's any um, truth to the idea that the unvaccinated contributing to a quicker or different type of mutation of the virus? No, I don't. Because the point is this. That is, you know, that's a, a principle in, in epidemiology. You never vaccinate into a pandemic that will create mutations that's the point and that's exactly what they did and you can verify that you never vaccinate into a pandemic then you have the mutation flight where does that information come from i've never heard that 
You can ask any epidemiologist. You never vaccinate into an ongoing pandemic. Okay. I had uh, Dr. Fiegel Ding on the show, Dr. Feigel Ding, sorry, on the show last week. He didn't mention that. And he was, he's an epidemiologist and he was, uh, okay. you know, listen, I, I, I don't, I, 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 one of the reasons why I have a hard time talking about COVID and vaccines, um, I'm vaccinated. My kids are vaccinated. If someone's not vaccinated, I don't really care. I could, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge them when they start talking politics uh, with their vaccination. Cause I don't do that either. I get a little annoyed, but I I'm trying to like wrap my head around how we are going to avoid um, the fomentation of civil war in several Western democracies, which I think has a better chance of happening in the next 10 to 20 years than totalitarianism. And why we can't figure out a way um, to, to talk about these issues and to, to, to settle the science um, so that people who might be uh, hesitant to take the vaccine would be more comfortable. Or if your side proves that it's killed hundreds of thousands of people, the vaccine, then that data should be explored. But there's so much disinformation that floats around um, your side of the argument, not you particular, I'm just saying, but people that support the People's Party of Canada here, um, that may support your party in Germany, that, um, you know, uh, that were part of the Brexit movement or something like that. Like they have their mind made up and their mind is basically like this. The World Economic Forum is run by economic gangsters who want to enslave us and and, and chip us with microchips and get rid of cash and and the one world order is coming. We're all going to be fucked. And I just I, I, I it's a non-starter that okay. conversation. Okay, so what you were asking is basically um, how do we get out of this 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 uh, polarization? Yeah. Right? It, no, how do we get out of this fix? Right. Because, it, like you said, the, the two sides, they're pretty much so confrontational. So, well, um, what the government should have never done is cut, uh, shut down debate. There was no open debate. That, is the, that, that for me, is a, is, is a really big issue. Whenever I have the feeling that I'm being fed a line and uh, I'm not allowed to listen to someone else saying something different, I get very suspicious. Okay, and this happened here. And talking about misinformation, yeah, there's a lot of misinformation on both sides of the of the spectrum right now. We also have to acknowledge it was the governments too that spread misinformation. It started out by saying, if you get vaccinated, you will not get infected and you will not transmit uh, this virus. That was a lie. But they told it over and over and over again. So when we're talking about misinformation, I want the governments to own up to their share of the misinformation. Um, what I've been trying to do, I've just pretty much, yeah, well, you just said this, but it doesn't make any sense. I just wanted to have answers to my questions. It did not make, a lot of things did not make sense. And I wanted answers to my questions, but I was not even, I was most of the time not even allowed to, to ask my question. This was immediately dismissed as a conspiracy theory, but what is wrong about debate? This is the main issue. We need to get back to a point where we actually can have open debates. What we're doing now 
is really just going into a debate and trying to win. But a debate should always be, uh, the goal of a debate should always be to get more knowledgeable. And that we did not do this anymore. And that, yes, on both parts that happened, but I will have to cut some slack for uh, the ones that were really ostracized uh, by pretty much everyone. Um, that that was really for a lot of people that was a horrific experience. They may have never experienced that before. I'm kind of used to it because I've always been devil's advocate if, if you want. So, but there's a lot of people for the very first time in their life, they've been labeled Nazis, they've been labeled conspiracy theorists, they've been uh, wished to be dead because they didn't take the mRNA injection, all of these things. And there was a lot of stuff going on. And um, I really don't see any other way of a society to heal, if not both sides. But I will put a more emphasis on the governments uh, own up to their responsibility, to their share in all of the injuries that have been taken place here. Um, look, let's pivot away from this for a second, because um, I wanted to uh, ask you if you could clarify what your immigration policy is. Because I'm choosing the things that I see you get knocked around for. So I just wanted to just ask you straight up what your immigration policy would be so that you can answer in your own words and I don't have to read headlines. Okay. Uh, well, my party uh, stands for um, qualified immigration, meaning that... Um, if we need workers in our uh, uh, country, then uh, it's no, no use to pretty much of functional analphabets, you know, illiterates. Um, that's that's not going to do us any good. And that's another point. I will have to come back to COVID again. I mean, during this entire pandemic, our borders were still wide open. No one had any concern for that. So anyone could just march into our country, no questions asked. But when I, as a, as a German citizen, is I was not allowed to go into a barbershop, to a restaurant, or buy some shoes without putting up my QR code. This is ridiculous. But anyway, um, what we are uh, having in Europe right now, actually, massive problems. Um, because, um, yeah. We take in all of these uh, refuge, refugees. Uh, I do not consider them refugees. The majority of them are not refugees. They are not fleeing from anything. They are trying to achieve a better life. And there is nothing wrong with that. I do not blame these people coming here. I would do the same thing in their position. But I'm putting the blame on my government because they were elected to represent the German people. They were not elected to represent the entire world to come to our country and to be basically, yeah, fed by us, housed by us. They get all of that. That's not what the German government was elected to do. So the fault here is with the German government. I just want to make that very clear. Right. Um, it does sound a little bit like um, you're an isolationist. No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, uh, I, immigration is no problem. But do not let anyone come in. You know, 
They, they don't have passports, nothing. They just come here. Most of the time, they don't even know who they are. And our crime rates, they are spiking. And they are not spiking, you know, let's say theft. No, we're talking about homicide. We're talking about uh, uh, rape, gang rapes. All of that is spiking in Europe as we speak. And we're just supposed to sit here and say, yeah, well, we're diverse now. No, I'm sorry. You know, um, I consider it that the most valuable achievement of any society to have um, implemented, uh, at the, have uh, peace in the public sphere, you know, security and peace in the public sphere. That to me is the, the, the biggest achievement any civilized society can reach. And we had this. For the most part, we had this. And now we're basically sacrificing this on the altar of diversity and, and cultural openness. I don't know. I mean, who comes up with stuff like that? It, it's pretty much considered, well, yeah, you might get raped when you, you know, as a woman, go out by yourself. But heck, we're an open country now. Seriously? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, too. But listen, I... I... I think that a sensible immigration pro policy is smart. I think that I think it, it it reflects. I'm going to paraphrase an old adage that you could probably judge the um, you could probably judge the effectiveness and I don't know niceness I guess of a government based on how they treat um, the people that they imprison or immigrants. And it's when you're talking about um, allowing certain immigrants in, but not allowing other immigrants in, that does have a ring to it of almost like you want well, the elites you, that, that that you want the that you want the elites of the immigrants. You want the elite immigrants, not the <laughs> ones that need to be. Educated. No, 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 no. Okay, the the German Grundgesetz. We have an article, uh, Article 16, and it is in there for very good reasons. It grants political asylum to all those who are persecuted for political reasons in their country. That's the article. Political asylum. What we do, however, or have done uh, the last, I don't know, 10 years, is just allow anyone in who says asylum. But did, this start, did, this, did this come to a head? Did this culminate from the, the conflict in Syria? Um, yeah, that's that's when it really peaked. That's when it really, really So they peaked. were running from ISIS. Is that a good reason? Okay. These were war refugees. Mm -hmm. They were fleeing from war. Uh, fleeing from a war is not political political persecution. You have the UN and they set up uh, uh, camps, refugee camps around Syria. And they are funded by the by the countries, by all of the, the countries in the world, so they can run these camps. And interestingly enough, though, um, up until January 2015, um, the world community, if you want to call it that, um, they paid uh, per refugee in any of those UN camps, $31 per month. So they could be fed, sheltered, whatever. And after January 2015, 
they dropped this amount to $12.50. No one talked about this. I didn't see Merkel jumping up and down, it, being, being uh, angry about this. She didn't show a, a, a pretty face or a friendly face at that stage. No. Why would the countries do that? And that actually led to all of these refugees now pouring into Europe. Yeah, because they did not have any food anymore. They, the camps, they didn't know how to feed these people anymore. But no one asked the question, well, why was the support dropped by, by two thirds? They just dropped it. Why? No one asked that question. They were all standing there. Well, we have to help these people, I have to help these people. But that's not the point. These were war refugees. War refugees is a different issue. But we now, in Germany at least, considered them to be political refugees, uh, which would fall under Article 16 of our Grundgesetz, which is not true. But and then there's fleeing, another article. If you're fleeing Islamic terrorism, that's not a good enough reason for you to, to, to be welcomed into a friendly country? Once again, these were war refugees, and for war refugees, there is different mechanisms. But I understand, even, but it, I mean, but it's but kind of a semantic though at this, that point. The point is this. <laughs> the point is all of these Syrian refugees coming in, well, 90% of them didn't even speak that language. You know where they were from? From Africa. Hello, I mean, seriously? Well, maybe they had a rough go of it too. I, I'm trying to figure out where you stand on things, and, I, and I'm having a hard time standing, because I don't want to. I don't want to outright accuse you of having bigoted views. I don't. I don't want to be that guy. Well, I, I wouldn't wouldn't like you to do that either. The point is this: we have a Grundgesetz, and it's very clear. And the Grundgesetz it states um, you will be granted asylum if you are politically persecuted. And by the way, there is another article in our Grundgesetz which says um, someone coming from a secure third country will not or will not fall under the, the article 16 to be granted asylum so the only way any refugee under article 16 could come into our country and be granted asylum is if he flew in that's what the Grundgesetz says so but me we now mixed um, political asylum with war refugees. Now we're talking about climate refugees. I mean, it's all mixed. They don't even produce papers. At the very least, you would expect that they have to produce some kind of a paper identifying themselves. But none of this is done. And once they're in, that's the other problem. Then when the process is, is run through and they were not granted asylum, we don't know where to, to, to put them. They We can't send them back to their country because we don't know where they're from. And even if we do know where they're from, then the country where they're actually from, they say, well, we don't want that person. So we're stuck with these people. But I mean, that's a really clever plan. Just pour millions and millions of people into a country who do not have the, the, the slightest the slightest understanding of how we actually live, what our way of life is. They do not respect our values. Well, yeah, but just pour them in by the millions and then you're stuck with them. That's a clever plan. No, I'm sorry. Do you have a message for Justin Trudeau before we go? 
<laughs> do I have a message for Justin Trudeau? Yeah, um, I actually do. Um, I did listen to that hearing. Uh, you might have imagined I, I would do so. And um, if, I, I'm sorry, once again, he was just sitting there lying. And uh, it, it's, it's quite interesting how he always thinks he has a way of, of talking and way, talking his way out of things. But um, it is a record. He did call the, the mRNA free people names. He called them misogynistic. He called them, uh, labeled them as terrorists. Um, so I, is, I really would have hoped that he um, would have owned up, only a little bit owned up to his share of the problem. I really would have appreciated that. But he didn't. So um, my yeah, point of view of him is, hasn't changed. So hugs and kisses, love Christine. Should I send I'm that? I'm sorry. So hugs and kisses, love Christine. Should I should I send that to him or none of that? Okay. Just leave it at Christine. <laughs> um, I just want before you go, uh, I I did what I said I was going to do. I I I asked you questions. I let you talk. I probably disagreed with like ninety percent of what you said, but as you can Not see, much. we we are able to have a conversation. Though, well, well, you know, like if we were if we had four hours, we could really really unpack things. Even though this is a long form interview. It's still not enough for me to start jabbering. I, I just would rather hear other people's ideas and, and let them talk. Maybe the next time you come, we can do a little bit more of a back and forth. But I, yeah, do, appreciate, I do appreciate the time. I thank you for coming. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Yeah, I, I just love talking to you. And uh, we should absolutely do that again. There's okay. a lot, lots of stuff we should be talking about. I, I think I, I've invited the, I forget her name right now. I think her first name is Gail, the Irish uh I think she's a socialist, Irish socialist, but mm -hmm. she's got a lot of spitfire as well. She's in the European Parliament as well. I'll, I'll send you uh, her bio because I think okay. you probably know her immediately. But anyways, it was very nice meeting you. Christine Anderson, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Have a no good problem. one. You too. I'm looking at the comments and um, settle down. <laughs> Just settle down. I, 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 you guys have known me for long enough to know that I, I am, I'm never going to go for the throat ever with any guests that I have. I am from an old school interviewing style of ask a question, let them talk, ask a question, let them talk. It is not an endorsement of views um, to not be an advocate for the opposite side. So while I appreciate your views on the subject matter that, that this person was saying, um, I think it's, you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't want to watch an interview like this, you don't have to, you also don't have to announce that you're leaving. I don't know what the point of that is. Like if, if you don't say anything from midway through the show until the end of the show, people probably can figure that you're gone. Um, you know, I'm not mad. I just don't understand the the strategy. And uh, and I will interview her again if I want to. Um, and I'll interview anybody else um, that wants to come in the show that I think is a compelling person. Compelling doesn't mean great or bad. It just means compelling. So um, I've been I was looking. I've received six inter or six emails since this podcast started of people telling me off. I'm looking at the comments. I see people that I love, um, uh, you know, making comments that I don't find very, um, you know, 
I don't find I, like the like the enthusiasm for the like why is this person here is redundant, and I don't understand it. If, if you if you want to insult her, that's fine. I don't care. You, you can do whatever you want. Um, but I find it a little insulting to me when when you um, when you have to announce that you're now leaving the chat because you just can't take it anymore. Um, and again, I love the person that did this, but I, I'm not going to I'm never I just promise never to go on anybody's show at this network. And in the middle of their show, sandbag the chat with an announcement. I can't fucking take this shit. I'm, I'm not watching anymore. I, and I get it. You might have been talking about her opinions, but you don't need to announce your departure. You know, it's something that being a host and looking down at that, um, it's, you know, it's deflating. Um, and I, you know, you can say whatever you want to say, but so can I. We'll see you next time on Black Bolt. Thank you. Black Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.